Before we begin our Torah study tonight, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. This weekend, this Shabbat is called Shabbat Chazon, the Shabbat of Revelation, because the Haftorah portion, the companion portion to the Torah reading, is from the first chapter of the book of Isaiah, and it begins with a declaration that it is about the Chazon, the prophetic revelation that uh, Isaiah received. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't read uh, that chapter, it's an important chapter. And it's always good, I think, to come here already having read these portions. And I know there are some times when, if you're reading and it's a longer section, you may find there's a, something near the beginning or even in the middle that just gets your total attention. And that's okay read and study and develop it. Don't read so fast that you skip over things and don't notice. But better to read slowly and better to read in part. But the more familiar you are and the more times you read the scriptures, the more you'll discover that they are alive and that they are timely. They will speak to your situation and the situation of people who you care about. And so it will equip you for your ministry to other people, and it will also help you in the times where you need a word from the Lord. So this Haftorah is where I want to focus tonight, Isaiah chapter 1. And I want to encourage you, to, to read all of it yourself, as I said. But I'm, I'm just gonna summarize some parts of it and then we'll look at just the last two verses in the scriptures because I wanna underline that. This is the chazon, say that with me, chazon. Chazon means prophecy, it means revelation, it means prophetic revelation as well. And it's not to be confused with that Italian delicacy, calzone. Though some people who eat calzones late at night have experiences in the middle of the night that they are wondering, is this like a revelation? It may or may not be. But the chazon, the prophetic revelation of Isaiah, this is how it begins. And Isaiah sees something that's important because prophecy Though it may come through the word, it does also engage the spiritual eyes. It may even engage the physical eyes. In fact, you can sometimes see things in the physical world, in, in the normal world that we're living in, but without revelation, you won't know what's really going on. You won't know how to interpret what's happening, you won't be able to make sense out of the circumstances. But Isaiah is making sense out of what he sees because God has opened his spiritual eyes so that when he's looking at the circumstances around, he understands what he's seeing. And, and I wanna summarize what he sees. He sees that Israel has become like, like children who have rebelled against their parents. How many can 
uh, relate to rebelling against parents. Doing things, even if you weren't a rebel, doing things that your parents didn't like or approve of or that you didn't want them to know you were doing. Israel has, according to this revelation from the scriptures, turned their backs on the Lord. And they're going in a different direction. But what's so important is that even though they've turned their backs on God, even though they're going in a different direction away from the Lord, nevertheless, they are still religious. And this is an essential part of Isaiah's chazon, his prophetic insight, because he's seeing something that other people may not be noticing at all. This is not common understanding. He sees that people can be religious and far from God. He sees that people can substitute religious tradition, even God-given tradition, for a faithful relationship with God. And the prophetic critique is this. It's a very interesting one. The Lord says to Israel, you celebrate Shabbat, you celebrate Rosh Chodesh, the new month, you celebrate other holidays, you bring the required sacrifices, you pray, you pray a lot, but you're far, far away from me. And the Lord even goes so far as to say, I can't stand your Shabbats. I can't stand to listen to your prayers. That's how bad it's gotten. The Lord is telling Israel, you become hard-hearted and you don't care about what I care about. You don't look out for widows, you don't look out for orphans, you profit from other people's thievery and their dishonesty. And there's even this uh, critique, you commit financial fraud and consumer fraud. You deceive people by, by scraping off some of the silver from the coins so that it's not a full measure of value that it should be. You water down the wine. You do things like this. You betray people. You're like con men. That's what the Lord is saying to Israel. It begins with such a harsh critique that you would think that the Lord would say, and that's why I can't have anything more to do with you. Now, I know there are many people who have heard this teaching that God can't look upon sin. Actually, he looks all the time. He sees sin all the time, and it breaks his heart. There are times when he's weeping over Jerusalem and over her condition. This uh, Saturday night is the beginning of Tisha B'Av, a, a, a solemn day in the uh, traditional Jewish community, a day of remembering uh, tragedies that have befallen the Jewish people. It's a, a day of sobriety. And this Haftorah is meant to make people sober, um, but you would think that God is identifying, you know, this is what you're guilty of. This is what is your problem. This is why, though you're religious, I really can't stand you. 
in what you do. You would think that the Lord is saying, and so for that reason, I'm going to wash my hands. But I want you to understand that in the last two verses of this reading, the Lord displays in no uncertain terms his faithfulness and his mercy and how he as a faithful covenant-keeping God is going to overturn the corruption and he is going to make a way for the people to come back to him. That's his mercy. And let's read these two verses, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. The Lord says, I will restore. That's an important idea. Say it with me. I will restore. That's what the Lord is saying about the people who have fallen, about the people who are guilty, about the people who are religious on one hand, but whose hearts are hardened to God on the other hand. He says, I will restore your judges as at first. And the judges were those who not only were like judges in a court, but they were like leaders over the community as well. I will restore them and your advisors as at the beginning, and after that you will be called the city of righteousness, faithful city. Zion will be redeemed by justice, and those in her who repent by righteousness. This is an important revelation. It's not just for ancient Israel. It's for modern Israel. It's not just for modern Israel, it's for our Jewish people all over the world, everywhere. And it's not for, just for the Jewish people, it's for all nations to understand this. That, that we get in trouble when we separate from God and we can separate from God even when we're very religious. But the beautiful thing is God will act. God will restore. And when he says, I will restore, it's followed by this, I will restore people. I will restore people who are faithful, people who are ethical, people who are moral. I will restore people who have been redeemed, who have received mercy and forgiveness. I will restore people who repent. He'll use faithful people, and it will impact everyone. The city will be called a city of righteousness. A faithful city, a city of faith is another way of saying it. And there's this, this key idea here, I think, that those in Zion who repent, who turn back around and return to God, who move towards God, who have a change of heart, and a change of direction, that these will be the ones who God uses to help other people be restored. So there's hope. It's very important to understand this. You see, Isaiah had this profound insight into the problem, and not everyone could even grasp that that was a problem, because some people are satisfied if you embrace religious behavior. In fact, in the Messianic movement, some people are drawn in because really they're drawn to the idea of celebrating Shabbat. They may not be drawn to the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God and the good news of God, but they're drawn into something. It can be a step in a good direction, but it can also be 
misdirected. How could it be misdirected? When people make that the center of their attention and not the Lord. You see, the Lord says, I, you shall have no other gods before me. Not Shabbat, not the holidays, not Jewish practices, not any Jewish traditions, not any God-given traditions. When those traditions become the thing that we focus the most on and the things that we define ourselves by, then God sees it as a corruption. I want us to understand that. It will help us if we understand that, because not only can we protect our hearts, but we can help other people as well. That's the message that Isaiah has. Can you imagine if Isaiah came and he said, I love you all, but you're too religious? We'd be offended, wouldn't we? What do you mean we're too religious? But imagine if it were even worse. Imagine if, if, if the Lord sent a, Isaiah to us, and he said, actually, I can't stand your Shabbat services. <laughs> then we would have to say, oh my God, what have we done? Now, it's not Shabbat going wrong. I want you to understand, it's the human heart and our perceptions because we're not seeing things the way God sees them. God looks upon the heart. He doesn't judge the way people normally do, which is from outward appearances, but rather he looks upon the heart. I know many people who would think that there's a great revival if everybody just showed up in synagogue. And some people, Christians would think there's a great revival if they show up in church. But it's possible for the, for the sanctuaries to be packed with people whose hearts are hard. But there's a solution, this is the great thing. There is a solution because our God is a restoring, redeeming, merciful God. And once he puts his finger on what our problem is, he always tries to show us what the solution is. He doesn't just leave us in a state of agony but he shows us something. Now at the beginning, Isaiah says to, in, in this prophecy, he says, you've turned your back on me. That's the Lord speaking through Isaiah, you've turned your back. And that is a picture of what it means to be in a wrong relationship with God. Let's say God is in that direction. You turn your back, you move in this other direction. Now you may try to do this tricky religious business, which is, I will look over my shoulder and I'll wave to God as I'm moving away from God. And I may even say, hallelujah. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. It's a great Shabbat, hallelujah. I love the holidays. Bye. And it's possible to get far away from God. It's possible. It can happen. And that's, the, that's a warning to us. 
It's a warning. Now, what does repentance mean? For some people, repentance means just saying, I'm sorry. As a parent and a grandparent, I learned to ask children in my family what they were sorry for. Moms and dads, this is going to be useful to you. Because you know how sometimes one parent will cajole a child to say they're sorry? And they'll go to the, the child will go to the other, sorry. How many have used that on your parents? <laughs> I know I did, yeah. But this is what I learned to ask. What are you sorry for? And when children can articulate it and put it into words, if they said something like, well, I'm sorry I was disrespectful to you. Oh, that means something, doesn't it? But if they shuffled their feet, have you ever seen this? You know, like, I don't know, I'm just sorry. And you know in, in the silent place in their head, they're saying, I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry I'm in trouble. I'm sorry I'm being held accountable. I'm sorry that you were here and saw this. That is not repentance. We shouldn't be fooled by it. Another false form of repentance is this. There are people who think if they cry enough tears, then they really are repenting. And I have, I have seen kids cry and cry. Now, as, as a rabbi, I have the experience sometimes of seeing children misbehaving in synagogue. And I've, I've seen it for years because it's a normal part of life. And uh, in, in fact, I, I remember once I was, uh, I, w I was visiting a friend of mine and went to his front door, rang the doorbell, and his teenage daughter answered the door with a cigarette in her hands. And it turned out her parents were out of town. And I looked at her, and I looked at the cigarette, and I said, tell your father what just happened. And then just let me know that you talked to him. It's not my business that you're smoking. However, I owe it to him not to keep a secret. So better you tell him. So just tell him. You tell him. It was like, I, I, I shocked that teenager. And I, I loved that teenager. I, you know, cared about that person. And it wasn't, it wasn't horrible for me. It was just I saw the kid doing something I knew that they were hiding from their parents and didn't want their parents to know, but I now saw it. And I learned from that that, like, there are times when I've seen kids running against the rules and then bump into an older person and hurt them. And I, I go to the child and I say, go tell your mother what just happened. Go tell your father. And that's like, oh no, 
don't make me do it. It's like, no, you have to. Go tell them what just happened, and then have them tell me that they know, and they'll take care of everything. And it's, a, it's like that, what was it, uh, that movie, uh, The Guy on Death Row, The Green Mile, you know, that long walk to the day of judgment. <laughs> but it's useful. You see, repentance is not just saying I'm sorry. And repentance isn't crying a bunch of tears. Repentance is changing direction. That's really important. And so the Lord's prophetic revelation to Isaiah is Israel changed direction for the worse and started walking away from God at the same time keeping the religious behavior. And the Lord says, but I'm going to use those who repent. And this is what's important to understand. In the Hebrew, the, rep the word repent doesn't mean you cry tears and it doesn't mean you just say you're sorry. It means those who turn around, change their direction, and come towards God. So the Lord is saying, you need to change your direction because you already changed your direction. You turned away from me and started walking away from me, and your religious behavior doesn't fool me. Because the Lord sees and the Lord understands what's really going on. And so he's looking for people who make that turn around and turn towards God. So if they were walking away from God, they make that turn. Now here's the thing about behavior, and it's important to understand that let's say God's in that direction. Now some people are right here and they had turned at this moment and they turned back. Well, they're pretty close. But some people are way, way, way over here. Think of the prodigal son. You know, he's feeding pigs and he doesn't have food. And he's thinking, ah, oh, if I were back home, when they turn around, they've got a much greater distance to cover, right? So you can understand it this way also. When they're this far away, their behavior looks worse to you and me. And when they're close and they have to turn back to God, maybe their outward behavior didn't look so bad to us. But to the Lord, it's the same thing. He doesn't divide that group into uh, different classes of people. He's saying everybody needs to turn and return to God. And this passage is making it so clear that there's mercy. You see, this is the great thing. Those that, that receive the gift of repentance and it really is a gift, but you have to receive it. Those who receive the gift of repentance receive life, the gift of repentance that leads to life. The other day I needed something from Amazon, but I wasn't gonna be in town for a few days, so I couldn't order, because now Amazon is delivering things like the next day or two days, or sometimes even the same day. 
thunder to the truth. And, and I knew if I ordered it, it'd show up on my front porch and it could get sopping wet and it was the kind of thing that could get ruined. And so I couldn't receive it. Do you understand what I'm saying? I couldn't receive it. In the same way, there are times when, when we're not ready to receive the gift of repentance that leads to life because we know what it actually means. It means I have to turn and change my direction. Isaiah saw this very clearly. He understood the problem. He understood the solution. What was invisible to other people was visible to him. He saw the invisible. And he knew what was, what was necessary. He knew that, that if people could open up their hearts to receive this revelation from God, then they could... You know, we, we say thunder to the truth around here because it's an old saying, and sometimes it's really useful. Other people say sneeze to the truth. Have you ever heard that? Hang around with some old Jewish people. You'll learn things. But they have to be re- old enough. There are times when we're, we're going through difficulty. It may not be related to sin at all. But what it has in common with this passage is we may not see things clearly. We may not know how to interpret or understand the things that we do see. We may see what's happening, but our interpretation is completely wrong because we don't perceive things the way God perceives them. We perceive them the way we perceive them. Now, what's, what's a solution for that is to pray even about what we see and how we think about what we see. Lord, give me chazon, give me revelation, give me insight so that I know how to interpret correctly what's going on. If you don't know the solution, it may be because you don't know the problem. And if you are in the middle of the problem and you don't know what the problem is, you really need insight. You need to see what is currently invisible to you. But God has given us spiritual eyes that can see what God sees. That's part of the message of Jeremiah. Oh, but I'm a novice. I'm a little boy. I'm a child or I'm a new believer. I don't know how to do this. The Lord says, no, it's in me that you can do it. I can show you something. Tell me what you see. Jeremiah tells the Lord. The Lord says, exactly. See, I showed you. I showed you and you can see. There are times when we don't see but we don't realize that we are not seeing and we think that we're perceiving correctly. One of the signs of it is we've got lots of emotion and trouble and we're stirred, but we don't know. We don't know what to do. We don't see clearly how to move. We don't have that 
that concrete clarity. We're just in trouble and we're all in turmoil and we're, we're ragged and worn out, but we don't know. We don't know what God sees. When you receive from the Lord spiritual vision that enables you to see and perceive and to understand, that is real faith that comes from the Lord. It's something of substance. If you, if you didn't know what was going on and you didn't understand what was happening, and then God gave you insight and wisdom and right perception and you could see things clearly, it can change everything. You can go from being lost to being rescued. You can go from being trapped to being delivered. I just love the thunder tonight. It's so useful. Thank you, Lord, for all this thunder. I don't know if the podcast listeners can hear it. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16 says this. Messiah is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created. He's supreme over all creation, for through him, God the invisible God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. And he made two things. This is so powerful. He made the things we can see, and he made the things we can't see. One example, thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him. Messiah came and made himself visible so that we could more clearly see the invisible God. And we saw the fullness of God in Yeshua. But God still remains invisible. That's one aspect of the Lord. He is invisible. And yet, he took on a visible form. So the invisible God became visible to us. And we could see the one who we couldn't see. So that later, when we couldn't see him, we could trust the one who had been seen. There are things that we can see and things we can't see. My hope is that if you're in a situation right now where you can't make sense out of some of the challenges that you're going through, that God would give you chazon. He would give you prophetic insight, revelation about your situation. Now some people think the prophecy and things prophetic have to do with uh, predicting the future. I'm not talking about that. And some people think that the prophecy is actually um, reading your tea leaves, if you will. You know, like, I know secrets about you, and if I tell you those secrets, thunder to the truth, then, um, then I'm being prophetic. But clairvoyance can do that too. So it's not necessarily from the Lord to reveal everything about the future. But there are times when it's not the future, it's the present God wants to reveal. 
It's the situation we're in, and it's his perspective about that. Now imagine you're... Amen. And the thunder of heaven said amen. Okay, imagine you are in the situation Isaiah is talking about, but you don't understand things from God's perspective, and you think the solution is to be more religious. And so, I mean, can you think of, I can, I can think of Jewish versions of uh, religiousness and I can think of Catholic versions of religiousness. I can think of charismatic Christian versions of religiousness. And one of the versions is people go to more and more things. And so uh, Jews are going to more services in the morning. And Catholics are going to more mass. And charismatics like to sleep in, so they're going to the nighttime meeting and the conferences, and doing all these things, and they're looking for a word, and looking for a word, but the most basic thing is off. It's not that they need to be more religious, it's that their heart needs to be open more to the Lord. And then they can do simple things. They can worship together with people, and it's glorious, and it's wonderful. It doesn't have to be magical. I come always expecting the Lord to be here when we come. Always. I always expect it. And, uh, you know, I'm, I can honestly say I'm almost never disappointed. The one time I was really disappointed wasn't here. We were in Budapest and we had guests from out of town who I wanted to impress, but the worship team was made up of... Uh, people who did not play music well. No, seriously. Uh, we had some fantastic musicians, but they weren't playing that day. And we had the most awful circumstance. We had a violin player who wasn't very good, who was the lead instrument for the worship. And I spent the first half of the service, you know, like in agony, listening to the music that was cacophony. And it was hard for me even to lift my head from the floor. I couldn't look at the guests who were there with us. Uh, it was just unbearable to me. And then there was this moment where I felt like the Holy Spirit was with me, standing next to me. And it's like he was asking me a question. And the question was this. It was very specific. It was, do you notice the spiritual atmosphere right now? That had not occurred to me because I was noticing the musical atmosphere. But surprisingly, the spiritual atmosphere was very open and very good. And so I had to humble myself before God and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I was judging by the wrong things. Now, I think talent is useful. I think good music is powerful. I love the combination of uh, 
good hearts, strong talent, great preparation from the worship teams in our congregation, don't you? I really admire that. The young and old together, I love that. I love the diversity and the different approaches. I love that and appreciate it. But in Budapest at that time, and at that moment, we didn't have good music, but we had a good spiritual atmosphere. And I had to say to the Lord, wow, I didn't even know it was possible to have a good spiritual atmosphere in this circumstance. And so as the leader of the service, as the worship was ending, there was a part of me that was relieved. But there was another part of me that was excited because I thought what God was showing me would be useful to others. And so I got up and I said, I want you to ask a question. How is the spiritual atmosphere right now? And people like had little conversations and the consensus was, wow, that spiritual atmosphere is very open. Our hearts are very open. We're, we're like encouraged. We're, we, we're, we're sensing the presence of God and the encouragement and the power, the, the, the mercy and the love of God. We're really sensing that. And so we started exploring it in this group and God moved powerfully during the rest of the service. It was very interesting to me. But there are times when we don't stop and ask such questions. There are times when we assume, well, we need to fix this other problem. There are times when we don't even notice there's openness from the Spirit of God. The disciples had this problem. Do you remember when, when parents were bringing children to Yeshua? And, and the disciples, some of whom were older teenagers and some of whom were young adults, were saying to the parents, you are ruining the atmosphere here. And Yeshua had to overrule them and said, you don't see what I see and you don't understand what I understand. Let them come and even if you suffer, it'll be good. Let them come. And he made a big deal of it. It was powerful. It's something that we can learn from. And I, I think that we're in such times where we need to see how God sees. And we need to interpret how God is interpreting things. It may go against conventional wisdom. It may be odd. It may be different even from what we have been thinking. But I can tell you this, when God opens up your eyes to see what's unseen, to hear and understand, to see and understand, then the gift of repentance will do its great work. When the eyes see, Isaiah says, when the ears hear, people turn and they go towards God. And this is why I'm praying for open hearts, but I want to enlarge that prayer. I want to enlarge it not just for open hearts, but for open eyes and open ears. 
because you may be literally sitting next to such a person who needs that from the Lord and your prayers could make the difference in their life. You may be going home to such a person. You may be working with such a person. You may be driving to work with such a person. And the people who you feel are your biggest problems may be the people who need this benefit more than anyone else that you could possibly imagine. And when you see them the way God is seeing them, and you realize, I understand the problem, and I see the solution, and I have the same mercy and love that God has, I can be useful to them. Your open hearts, your open ears, your open eyes makes you useful. When you're open to God, yourself, you can be useful to helping other people open to him as well. And that's my prayer. If, if that's in your heart, if you're saying, you know, I want, I want to see more clearly, I want to hear more clearly, I want my own heart to be more open to God, uh, just raise your hand or stand up or say, Lord, that's me. I'm, I'm, I'm here because that's what I want from you. I want to be more useful to you, Lord. I want to make a difference. I want to be one of those who wins souls and restores people back to you. Lord, open my heart, open my mind, open my understanding, open my spiritual eyes to see what's unseen to me. Open my spiritual ears. Open us up, Lord, that we could see people in our lives and see them the way you're seeing them and see not only their problems, but their solutions as well. And give us, Lord, effectiveness. That we would learn to pray, to pray effectively. We ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. 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 We're gonna close now with Aaron's blessing, I want to ask you to stand or remain standing. If you're standing all alone, move enough so that you're not. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat shalom.